Okay, hello and welcome back to episode four of the Gamble Pod. I'm your host, Josh Crawford, a.k.a. A. Ivanovich, a.k.a. The Gambler. Uh, I have to apologize for a little bit of a delay in uh, programming here between the last two episodes of the podcast. Um, took a little vacation, a few things got away from me, and uh, this, this uh, episode had to be rewritten a few times. Um, but we're back on. I am back up to date, I am well rested from a good vacation, and I'm ready to get back into uh, the 2019 NFL season, which, as of yesterday, Thursday, has now kicked off with the first preseason game, which I did not watch at all. Um, Maybe I'll catch up on the highlights at some point here, but... um, no, we're, we're much more focused on what's happening, what's coming out of training camp right now. Injury news is very important. Um, watching how some of the rookies and the young players fighting for positions do. And some of our people that we've been gambling on uh, pretty hard, expecting them to emerge, um, seeing whether they're showing up or not. Um, so for those of you new to the podcast, the Gamble Pod focuses on all things high-variance gambling related to NFL football. Um, So in the early preseason here, we're doing best ball drafts, primarily the best ball championship drafts on draft.com, where you can win up to a million dollars first prize. Uh, During the season, we're going to be doing lots of DFS on DraftKings, FanDuel, um, and any other site we can get good action on. Um, And we're going to take some high variance uh, uh, wagers along the way, Super Bowl futures, things like that. Any form of gambling um, related to NFL football, we're going to look at and see if it's for us. Um, So one thing before we get started here today, um, uh, if you're going to start playing on draft for the first time, please sign up using the the code draft.com backslash roar. That uh, That will get you signed up get you everything, get everything going. You can jump into this best ball championship that we're going to be talking about today quite a bit. Um, Also, we got a little bit of exciting news on the horizon here. Uh, DraftKings just released its first look at its, uh, uh, the 2019 season. They released week week one salaries in the form of their $3 20 max buy-in tournament. I believe this one has a $200,000 first prize for the first week of the year. And um, I haven't taken a deep dive into the salaries yet, but I did notice that the quarterback pricing looked a little bit odd. Uh, the quarterback seemed pretty um, priced pretty low, and uh, I'm, I'm going to ha- want to take a look at it um, to see. Uh, to be honest, it, it doesn't give me a lot of... Uh, my, first, my first impression was that there's not a lot of reason to take a stand on a single quarterback when you can kind of just get all the quarterbacks at the same price. But we'll definitely look at that in more depth in a future episode. Um, So let's talk about the most boring round in all drafts, really, but especially these best ball drafts. And that's round one. And it's the round that Every analyst, every fantasy analyst, every fantasy podcast, every fantasy writer probably spends the most time on. It's round one. In my opinion, it's extremely boring. There's very little here that matters. They're the best players in football. They're the best fantasy options. No doubt about that. Absolutely no question. Um, But that's exactly why it doesn't matter. The industry spends a lot of time arguing over whether Saquon Barkley is going to perform significantly better than Christian McCaffrey or whether Alvin Kamara is going to outperform DeAndre Hopkins. Um, They're all going to, if they come close to their expectation, they're all basically going to perform just about the same. Um, The only thing that matters are busts. So I'm going to talk about round one here. And we're going to go through it quickly. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. And to be honest, this will probably be the last time I really talk in depth about round one and why I'm ranking players in certain places or why I'm fading certain players. Um, But I I think it is necessary. And one of the reasons that I'm going through it is not so much to tell you who I like and who I don't like, but to, to sort of illustrate 
what round one is when it comes to these best ball championship drafts, um, which is just a launching point for the rest of your draft. And no matter how hard you try to or how badly you want a certain round one player, you really can't get them. I, we all want Saquon Barkley in 50% 50, 50 of our lineups, but we can't get them. You just can't. You're only going to be randomly placed into the one slot uh, about one out of every 12 times, which comes to about 8% of the time. So we're, you, you can't get Saquon much more than 8%. Um, so so let's, let's start there. Let's talk about the first, um, the first five players off the board. We got Saquon going at number one, Christian McCaffrey going two, currently Kamara's going three, Zeke's going four, that's because of the holdout news, and David Johnson's going five. Um, this is where last year, uh, I was on a full Lev Bell fade. Um, and that meant that after I got to that spot in the draft, which at times was the two slot and then the three slot, and then it fell. Um, but you could pick any of the players behind him and, and start to load up. So, um, you can start to get better than 8% of these players. This year, I'm taking the opposite approach in the first five, even with the Zeke news right now, because I, I think the Zeke thing is going to play out uh, pretty pretty in a pretty basic fashion, and Zeke's going to be playing in week one. I, I, this year, I'm, I don't feel um, Zeke missing games. I, I could be wrong on that. If you if you think that or if things change and you you want to start fading them, that's fine. I, I get that. Um, but I'm taking the first five here and I'm just drafting them in whatever slot that I'm in. So if I get the one slot, I take Saquon. If I get the two and somebody takes Saquon in front of me, I take McCaffrey, so on and so forth. Now, every once in a while, you're in the two and somebody decides to take Kamara first. So what do you do? I'm just taking whoever was, I'm just taking the guys in order. So I would take Saquon there. Let's say you get to number five and um, DJ is gone, um, but Kamara's still there. That is never going to happen. Um, but I would take Kamara there. I would take Zeke there. Um, so basically, I'm just taking the players as they come to me for the first five. And actually, I'm taking the players who they, as they come to me for the first seven. That's through DeAndre Hopkins and Devontae Adams. Um, so this means that the more drafts I play, the more likely I'm going to have an even amount of each of the different um, drafting positions, uh, 1 through 12, and the more likely I am to, to just have roughly 8% a piece of these first seven players. Um, now... That was the case up until a few days ago. Um, I started deciding that I was a little bit okay with taking just a little bit less Zeke. I'm not talking about taking a ton less. I'm just talking about every maybe one out of every five times where I could um, take Zeke in the four slot. Or maybe he's falling to me in, in the five slot sometimes. Um, or the six even um, just fading him and grabbing DJ or grabbing DeAndre Hopkins or grabbing Devontae Adams. Um, and the reason I'm doing this is because, one, because, you know, the potential for a holdout is actually there. Um, two, I never like drama. I never like disruption. I never like guys missing practice. So the longer this goes on, the more likely I'm going to um, start to start to push him down a little bit. But most importantly... Um, I just want a little bit more David Johnson, DeAndre Hopkins, and Devontae Adams specifically to stack. So I want them naked. In uh, I don't always want them with their quarterback. I don't always want DeAndre Hopkins with Deshaun Watson. Some I want him. I want him stacked up with him a fair amount of the time. But sometimes, I mean, you have to imagine that world where Deshaun uh, Deshaun Watson gets hurt or. Uh, Aaron Rodgers get hurt, as both of them did last year. Um, so sometimes you want this great, great player who can still perform with anybody at quarterback or or with their quarterback uh, battling in injury, and that quarterback has a bad year. 
but your guy still does well. So I want a little bit more of these three guys, and we'll get we'll get back to stacking David Johnson in just a second. I want a little bit more of these three guys so that I have maybe 5% of them with stacked with their quarterback and 5% of them stacked without their quarterback. This is just a personal preference for me right now. Remember, all of this this round one talk, and we're going to get to the fades in a minute, you, you may have completely different fades than me. But keep in mind that what you're doing is really just pushing your 8% somewhere else. So if you want to full fade Zeke right now, you take that 8% that you would normally be uh, grabbing Zeke in the in the four slot, and you're pushing it into one, two, three, four, five players behind him that that now you're getting up to 10, 11% of these guys. Um, let's stop on David Johnson for just a minute. I just realized the other day that I really like stacking David Johnson with Kyler Murray. Um, this is going to be a unique stack. Uh, it's easy to do. You get DJ in round one. You don't have to think about any other piece of this stack until like six, seven, eight rounds later. You can grab um, Kyler and you can grab one of three receivers or two of three receivers and have something really unique and potentially what I'm coming around to as potentially being a, a uh, high-powered circus type offense um i know everybody's been talking about this i wasn't buying the hype for a while but if they're actually going to run 700 passing plays this year or whatever um you're we want pieces of this and we want the guy who was one of the best pass catching running backs in the game as as recently as two years ago um so let that brings us to number eight in round one. We'll talk about. Uh, let me just go through the rest of round one. I'll tell you who's there at at number eight. Going off the board at number eight, we have Lev Bell. Um, he is a, a big riser right now. Lev was uh, falling to even the middle of the second round as of two weeks ago, but with s some people leaving the first round and um, maybe more casual players coming into these best balls and and just seeing the name Lev Bell. They're, they're pushing him up the board, and that's fine. Uh, so we got Lev Bell at 8. We have Kelsey at 9, holding pretty strong at 9. Julio is currently at 10 in, best ball, in draft best ball ADP. Michael Thomas is at 11, and Obel, Odell Beckham Jr. has also squeezed back into the top 12 um, to round out the top 12. I'll also mention that 13, 14, 15, 16 is Tyreek Hill, Joe Mixon, James Conner, and Juju Smith-Schuster. Um, and I think, for me, really the top 16 or so are all sort of interchangeable as, as we can call them all sort of first-round picks. Um, and I have to call some of them first-round picks because uh, some of these guys ahead of them are fades for me. So let's kind of just pause for a minute and... and think about what we're trying to do with a fade. We're not trying to, it's like I said, I'm not trying to predict a guy who's going to be 10% worse than the, the guy who goes before or after him. That's really what, not what we're trying to do here. That's, that's impossible to, to say for sure that um, if anybody tells you for sure that Saquon will finish ahead of Christian McCaffrey, who will finish ahead of Kamara, who will fin finish ahead of Zeke, and they'll bet, their, they'll bet their house on it, just go ahead and bet because it's just not going to wind up that way. Um, nobody knows. Somebody's going to finish 10% better than expected. Somebody's going to finish 10% worse than expected. What we're trying to do with fades is find really either players who really, really significantly underperform, um, and you have to find a really good reason that they might do that, or people who just don't even play for the whole season. So whether it be for injury or suspension or contract issues or whatever, um, this is this is what we're looking for in fades. And so it's really difficult in these first in the first round to to find guys who who you think really can be um, who really can underperform to that level. But it's going to happen. Three or four guys every single year who get drafted in the first round, sometimes more, wind up being big busts. So my first fade. My first two fades are Lev Bell and Kelsey. And really, um, 
with Lev Bell, it really comes down to three things. And this sort of flies in the face of what I just said about not trying to nitpick these small percentages, but I'm going to nitpick a, a few small things here and maybe it winds up being a little bit of bigger thing than, than um, that affects his value and makes him really not an eighth overall pick value. Um, Adam Gase with the Miami Dolphins ran, I believe, the slowest offense in the NFL. Gase is here in with the Jets now. He's got a great, potentially great defense um, that that has come together really quickly uh, with the addition of first-round draft pick Quinn and Williams. And um, maybe not a great defense, but this is a defense that is going to be able to take over some games um, and slow the game down. And that plays into what Gase is trying to do with a young quarterback, a ragtag wide receiver core, and a running back who sure is one of the most talented in the game. But if you have one of the most talented running backs in the game and you play him in a slow offense that's centered around a team that's trying to uh, slow the game down both defensively and offensively, and maybe win on the last possession of the game, what are you going to get? You're going to get a lot of running clock. Um, you aren't going to get so much of this uh, Lev Bell in the passing game, um, and you're, you're just going to have far fewer plays. Um, beyond that, we know what Adam Gase has done over the last couple of years. He has destroyed the value of good number one running backs. Um, he sits them on the bench if they look at him wrong. Uh, he mixes in second and third running backs regularly and sometimes even just gives them the starting job. I'm not saying that Gase isn't going to use Lev Bell. I think the whole, I've, I've come off that idea that there's so much dysfunction in the locker room. I think that's one of those stories that you can kind of get lost in in the offseason. Um, and then once training camp hits, you start to realize, okay, these guys are professionals. They're all there to do a job. They're not going to not use the best players in the game just because they have some little thing going on in the offseason. Um, but another thing to, to think about here it, beyond those factors is this is going to be a bit of a new offense. Um, you have a new head coach. Uh, you have a, a new star running back. Um, there's going to be a little bit, a bit of an adjustment phase here. And you look at the seven players ahead of Lev Bell, only one of them really, and that's David Johnson, is, go is going into a new offense. Uh, Devontae Adams is too. Um, but I think we all think that both David Johnson and Devontae Adams are getting somewhere between a, a minor to a significant upgrade to those offenses. Um, I don't think many people are looking at the Adam Gase Jets offense as going as something that's going to be like light years ahead of where they were last year. Um, I think Gase is going to be very focused on developing Darnold and trying to get to eight and eight. Um, and that's not really a recipe necessarily for Lev Bell success. So we're going to fade Lev Bell. That's just what I'm doing right now. That can change. You don't have to do that. Pick your own guys to fade. One of the reasons we like to fade in this in, in round one, like I said, it gives you the ability to start to grab uh, higher percentages of other players. And if it turns out you're right, if, if Lev Bell just performs like a fourth or a fifth or a sixth round running back this year, um, then you have you've 8% of your lineups that were otherwise we won't say dead, but they were struggling. When you lose your first round pick, those lineups are struggling. You get to take that 8% and put it into players that actually are going to make a difference for you. So next we have Kelsey who, and I'm on, at this point I'm on a full Kelsey fade. Um, again, you got to fade somebody. Um, and in this case, it's a, it's a totally different thing. I think Kelsey is going to be highly featured. Um, I think he's going to get as much work as he did last year. In fact, I think he might even be more featured than he was last year. Um, potentially, he has that potential. Um, but my question here is, 
what is the actual value of the tight end position in in uh, the best ball format in this best ball championship format? Um, and this is something I'm working on. Um, we're going to get to roster composition later in this episode, um, so we'll talk a little bit about the tight end position. But I I question whether this position where you you only play one player per week, whether it absolutely has to be filled by a stud player or whether you might be wasting a pick when you actually put a stud player there. Um, <clears throat> this is just a little something I'm working on. I'm, I'm kind of going through a lot of lineups from last year and piecing this together in my mind. But regardless, um, that's just a theory that I'm working on. Regardless, of, there's, there's still reasons to fade Kelsey. This offense um, has to regress. It, I mean, it doesn't have to. It would be pretty fun if it doesn't. Um, but it's going to regress. Um, so if if everybody has 25% less of the of the performance that they had last year, um, I, I just don't think Kelsey's going to perform as a round one, uh, or round one pick. Um, I think he's a good round two pick. And I said <clears throat> I think he might be more featured this year. That's because um, – <coughs> excuse me. That's because I think um, – as we'll see a little later in the in this segment, um, I'm also going to be fading Tyreek. Um, I think. Well, let's just jump to that. So Tyreek is going 13th overall, and I'm on 100% Tyreek fade at this point too. I actually was taking him a little bit um, before when when you could get him in round four, five, six um, before the news that he was reinstated, um, and now I'm completely off him. I don't like guys who get surrounded by drama for an entire offseason and then they have to come back and try to pick up the pieces and go back to work. They got fans against them. They got the they got the media against them. They got public opinion against them. It's just not a good recipe. These are these are the sort of things where you see a next thing you know, you just see a regression or you see a fluke injury or whatever. I, I just never like when the mental game isn't strong and my guess right now is the mental game is not that strong for Tyreek. Um, so I like fa- fading based on that story alone. Again, I mean, you don't have to – you're not wrong. If he if he performs as one of the top ten wide receivers in the game, you're not necess- – you didn't necessarily get it wrong. If you took uh, Odell Beckham Jr. instead of Tyreek every time and OBJ outperforms him or performs at roughly the same value as him, then you didn't get it wrong. Um, so you're you're perfectly safe taking some guys to fade even when they they actually perform up to their their standard as long as the guys you replace them with uh, performed uh, performed to the same degree. Um, now, one thing on both Kelsey and Tyreek that I will mention is every once in a while, and I, I just started doing this, um, I was on a full Mahomes fade up until this point of the year, but man, it's just <clears throat> it's just nice to stick Mahomes in a lineup. And, and I have no problem stacking uh, either Tyreek or Kelsey with Mahomes. So if I just get into a, a little mood and I decide... I'm going to draft a couple of these and maybe get Mahomes going in, in one or two of them. Um, I'll, I'll grab these guys. Um, so you can stick to your guns on this because remember, a lot of times we're building around another core. We got guys in round 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 that we really like. And we're just, it's like, what do I do? What do I want to do around this core this time? Um, I have so much Jordan Howard, it's ridiculous. I think I'm at 60% Jordan Howard. Um, yeah, I want a few Mahomes lineups. What if what if I get Howard right, but I didn't play any Mahomes and he's the best receiver and or the best wide uh, best quarterback in football again? I messed up. So um, <clears throat> I will take these guys to stack them. Um, so number ten and number eleven are Julio Jones and Michael Thomas. Um, I'm playing both of them. I'm playing them roughly at the percentages they come to me. Um, I was taking more Julio, and I was planning on taking a ton of Julio this year, um, but the foot injury has me a little bit worried, um, and I'm just backing off it a little bit, um, and I decided I'll just take him at a normal amount, which means that I'm going to get him at roughly between 8 and 12%, because I'm fading some guys uh, who go in front of him, so naturally that percent, those percentages are going to trickle down to Julio. 
Um, Michael Thomas, I'm I'm taking him. I'm taking him when he's when he's sitting there at the end of round one. If he's ever sitting there early round two, I'm grabbing him. Um, I I should ha- wind up with about 10 to 12, 13 percent of Michael Thomas as well. Um, Odell Beckham Jr. I was fading him early in the year. Earlier in the year, I wanted to build this narrative of dysfunction in the brown in the Browns. <clears throat> but I'm coming back around to it. I still think that this functions there. I still think this is like a seven and nine team that's going to have a lot of a lot of pressure on it. Um, but I don't think I think OBJ is going to get his. Um, we talked about Tyreek at thirteen. Uh, so then we have real quickly um, Joe Mixon, who I'm taking a fair amount of. I'm all in on this Zach Taylor offense. Um, of course, a big question mark right now is AJ Green. Is he is he going to play? Is he going to play early in the season? Is he going to play at all? This I'll tell you. This isn't an AJ Green segment, but I think this is going to linger all year long. I don't think we're getting more than four good games out of this guy. I am 100% off AJ Green. However, I don't know actually whether that hurts or helps Joe Mixon, and it probably all comes down to how Tyler Boyd and whoever emerges as the number two receiver if A.J. Green isn't there, actually perform. The Zach Taylor offensive experiment could be good. They may be able to replace A.J. Green. Joe Mixon may not be facing stacked boxes all year. If that's the case, I think, I think one, he might fall a little bit more from where he is currently at number 14. And two, he could still perform as one of the top seven backs in the game. So um, I'm taking a fair amount of Joe Mixon still. Um I'm not taking much James Conner at 15th overall. Uh, I think his TDs come down a little bit this year. I I think he had 10 rushing TDs last year. I think that's going to come down a little. And I think Mike Tomlin knows that he's got to adapt how he uses his backs in this league or he's going to die. He doesn't have Lev Bell anymore, which means you have to use multiple backs. There's nobody. James Conner is not this talented. Jalen Samuels is not as talented as Lev Bell. He's got to use multiple backs. That's the way the league's going. Everybody does it with very few exceptions. And the ones that that do do it successfully are typically built around a monster offensive line, which Pittsburgh has always had. But as I've mentioned again and again, they did lose their offensive line coach this year, who went over to Denver. Um, so you got to you got to put something on that. Um, and again, you just have to fade guys here and there. And for me, I, I don't know. I just don't quite have the feeling that James Conner is going to reproduce exactly the season he did last year. I think we saw him start to fade a little down the stretch last year. And I think Tomlin's going to use a much more a two and three headed monster with some other people catching passes out of the backfield. Jalen Samuels is, should be a great pass catcher. So I'm, I'm off James Conner. And that takes us to Juju at number 16, who I'm just, I can't, I can't slow down on it. I got the gas pedal pushed to the floor. Give me all the Juju. I think he, for the same reason, we might see a, a reduction in usage in, in James Conner. Um, that might lead to an increase in usage for Juju. Um, he might get 180 to 200 targets this year. I wouldn't be surprised. So... Where does that leave me currently? I'll just give you my percentages. This is what I hold these guys at through roughly about 100 drafts so far. Um, I got Saquon. Remember, 8%. And the reason I want to give you these numbers is to show you that, you know, I have Jordan Howard at 60% in 60% of my lineups. I have guys like, um, um, I have a lot of guys in the 30% range, guys you can get in later rounds where you can, you can just consistently pick them off uh, half around ahead of the field and get them when you want them. You get them at, you have 25% of somebody, 30% of somebody. Round one is different. Um, so my percentage is in round one. I have Saquon at 11%, Christian McCaffrey at 7%, Kamara at 5%, uh, Zeke at 11%, DJ at 9%. So a couple things to point out here. One, the variance just hasn't quite leveled off, so that I've drafted from every position. Two, what I've noticed is that people keep drafting Kamara ahead of me. So if I want to get my Kamara, I actually am going to have to start taking him in the one in the two slot because I keep getting jumped, and I want more Kamara. I, I want to have eight percent Kamara, um, so I'm going to have to I'm going to have to keep an eye on that as things proceed here. 
I'm drafting with some people who clearly really like Kamara. Um, so then continuing to go down the list, we have uh, DeAndre Hopkins at 9%, Devontae Adams at 13%. I got zero Lev Bell, zero Kelsey. And then I got 12% Julio and 10% Michael Thomas. Um, the other ones of note, I have 14% Joe Mixon, only 6% OBJ, 2% Tyreek, uh, 1% James Conner, and I got 22% Juju. So here's something I want to point out. You do have, while this is spread out across many players, and like I said, I'm, I'm fairly comfortable just having most of the first-round guys at roughly the percentage that they fall to me. But if you are a believer that, and I almost made this play, but let's say Julio Jones is going to be the best fantasy football player this year, uh, non-quarterback fantasy football player, you do have the option to get close to 100% Julio Jones if you want. You can just take him from the one slot, the two slot, the three slot, and so on, and you can get him in every single draft if you want. Same with Juju. I have 22% Juju. I'm drafting him in the 11 sometimes. I don't think I've taken him in the 11. I've taken him at the turn, 12 spot, 13 spot, and frequently 14, 15, 16. Um, but if you said, you know what, Juju's the guy. He's, he's the number one player in fantasy football this year. Um, I want 100% Juju. You can actually do that. So you can't do it with Saquon, but you can do it with somebody at the back round one or the beginning of round two. So keep that in mind. If you, if you decide that this is your year where you want 20 lineups and 20 lineups in only and every single one of them is going to have Juju, you do have the option to do that or any other player that you find in that range. All right. So we're done talking about boring ass round one. Thank goodness. Now you get to listen to all your other analysts talk about round one drafting for the next four weeks until this season finally starts. Let's talk about something else. Something else that has kind of been a long time coming. And that is roster composition in these best ball drafts. Uh, and specifically the best ball championship, but it kind of holds no matter what type of best ball draft you're doing. Um, what I, We have 18 total players that we're going to draft in each one. Each week we must start one QB, two running backs, three wide receivers, a tight end, and a flex. So what do we want our rosters to look like? Uh, you have a range of things you can do here. Um, typically, players are going to have two to three QBs. They're going to have five to seven running backs. They're going to have six to seven wide receivers. And they're going to have two to three tight ends. Some common compositions that you'll see, especially if you draft in the non-best ball championship, where <clears throat> um, you just draft in, say, a 12-man or a 10-man uh, league where it's not um, you don't need to win your your 12 player league you you can just place in the top three or the top four to make some kind of money with first getting the most money so a common composition you'll see out of your casual players is something like three quarterbacks six wide I'm sorry six running backs six wide receivers and three tight ends gives you fairly good coverage fairly even coverage across the board a lot of people feel comfortable with, like this. They feel like they have resilience um, and they can get some good players at each position. You also see some players take variations of this, like two QB, six running back, seven wide receiver, three tight ends, or two QB, six running back, eight wide receiver, two tight ends. So all sorts of variations here. The, a couple things that you have to do. You have to have two QBs. You have to have two tight ends. They can't be on the same bye week. I mean, they could be, but you're taking a zero there. You don't want to take zeros. It's not really a smart strategy. Um, and you'll see people t take, you know, sometimes seven running backs, things like that. But what are we actually trying to do here? Remember, we need to win weeks one through 12. We need to win in order to advance into the playoff rounds of the best ball championships. If our QB one goes down, if you get Rogers or luck or whoever, we probably lost anyways. I mean, what, what did you, who's your QB two and who's your QB three? If you're, if you're sitting on Rogers and you followed it up with Kirk cousins, 
and then you got Joe Flacco, let's say, or um, Marcus Mariota, and Rodgers goes down in week one, you're just not making up those points with Joe Flacco or Marcus Mariota. That's like 15 points a week, 12, 15 points a week. You're just not making it up. So why are we really putting a third QB on this lineup? Um, is my question is what I'm trying to point out here. Um, this is even more true for other positions. Let's, let's say your running back position. Okay, so with quarterback, we need to start only one per week. So you can look at a guy like Rodgers and see pretty easily how Aaron Rodgers could perform as one of the top QBs week in and week out. And he's going to put up your, your quarterback score for most of your weeks, even if you're only running two quarterbacks, um, two-thirds or three-quarters of your weeks, he might be your, your the quarterback that you're using in that slot. Um, now let's look at running backs where there's only two slots available that you have to fill each week. Um, let's say your RB1 goes down there. Let's say you, you drafted, uh, I don't want to jinx anybody, but Saquon first overall, and he goes down in week one. I hate to tell you this, but that, that lineup's probably dead. You're not, you're not winning weeks one through 12 with that lineup. I mean, if you, if you're drafted like a genius and got pretty lucky the rest of the way, then yeah, but Saquon produced how many points last year? Um, the, the, the points that he produced last year pr are probably going to account for roughly 20% to a quarter of the overall points you, you accumulate through the course of the 12 week season. And you're just not recovering when you lose your, your RB one. So what I'm saying is that replacing that or trying to, trying to add another running back at a, a, a sixth or a seventh running back at the bottom of your lineup in order to replace a Saquon if he goes down is foolish and it's not going to it's not going to advance you uh, through to the playoff rounds anyways so what should we be doing here we should be assuming that Saquon does not go down we should be assuming that he performs as the best running back in the game which means that in about 50 or 60 percent of the weeks he is going to be in our lineup in the running back slot 60 to 70 percent of the weeks maybe um so again let's not have too many players too many running backs in a position where we only need to field a couple of them each week so what's what's important to conceptualize here as we move on to wide receivers and tight ends wide receivers we we're playing three wide receivers tight ends we're playing one tight end each week and then we have the flex spot it's important to conceptualize what's happening in the flex spot week in and week out and this is where lineup construction really becomes important and it really um, illustrates what we're trying to do here um, if you and, and this is my point about drafting too many running backs let's say you draft seven stud running backs in a row to start your draft you only have to fill two running back slots each week. And then you have one additional flex spot that one of those players could go into. If you're consistently, if you these seven stud running backs that you, you just decided to, to really get after early in the draft are just consistently performing, uh, even just close to their value, that means you're leaving a running back on the bench. Week in and week out, you're going to have your fourth and your fifth running back outperforming your second and your third wide receiver in a way that in a terrible way because you'll hit you'll have uh your flex filled with your third best running back and then the fourth and best, fifth best player on your team are going to be sitting on your bench so what i'm getting at here is that the wide receiver position is where we really want to be focusing we have three wide receiver spots that we need to fill and we have a flex spot and I think I, and I, I'm I'm waiting till the end of the season to really pull together numbers from last year and this year and start to figure out how often the wide receiver shows up in the flex spot but my speculation at this point just just from eyeballing it is that your wide receivers are 
when when your wide receivers wind up in your flex spot, this is when your lineups are getting the biggest scores. Um, it's not when your cube or it's not when your running back winds up in your uh, your third running back winds up in your flex spot. That's nice when it happens, but the wide receivers are the boom the boom bust players that when you can fill three wide receiver slots and a flex spot with wide receiver scores, you have single handedly blown away the field. So what I'm getting at is we want more wide receivers. Um, we and and this is as we move into the tight end spot where players are consistently drafting a third tight end, even a fourth or a fifth tight end. Um, it really you really see how they're they're shooting themselves in the foot because here's a position that has a low impact anyways because you only have one one slot to uh, produce points in the overall lineup and combine that with the fact that these players typically produce at much lower rates even when they go off than than your average wide receiver or running back um, so to when when your tight end shows up in your flex especially when it consistently shows up in your flex I think you've done something I think you've made a mistake in roster construction that um, where you should have been focused on a, uh, a deeper wide receiver bench, especially a deeper wide receiver bench with boom bust potential that had the ability to fill that flex spot in, instead. So really think about who's gonna be filling my flex spot week to week. How many points might I be leaving on the bench? If you're playing a third quarterback and a third tight end, how many points do you leave on the bench with those players that if you turned one of each of them into a wide receiver, you might be able to fill your wide receiver slot and your flex slot with a few extra points or a significant amount of extra points over the course of a season that's going to move you from third place overall that doesn't advance to first place that does advance and actually gets to have a shot. Now, okay, so, so what is my um, ideal build? There's no true ideal. There's nothing that I that I go after every time. Um, but typically, um, I'm going to have um, two QBs about 80% of the time, I'd say. I do occasionally throw a third QB in there. Frequently, my third QB is a running QB. And what I'm looking to do is take a, a, uh, a great, uh, you know, top five type quarterback pair them with a really steady guy who I think week in and week out can produce some big numbers, maybe overperform their value, and then throw a running quarterback in there third, um, somebody somebody like a Josh Allen or um, Lamar Jackson, or even I just started drafting a little bit of Marcus Mariota just, uh, just because he can get him in the 18th round. Um, somebody who can pick up 60 yards and a touchdown on the ground and be the, the best quarterback of the week. Um, to me, that makes a lot more sense than drafting a Andy Dalton or a Joe Flacco as your third quarterback. And, and keep in mind, if you've listened to previous episodes, you know I've actually said that I like Joe Flacco and Andy Dalton this year. I don't like Dalton so much anymore with the A.J. Green news. Um, but when w- I like them as a second quarterback where they can actually produce points and wind up in your starting lineup. I don't want them sitting behind Patrick Mahomes and Kirk Cousins and maybe never getting into my starting lineup a single time. Whereas a running quarterback, they can pop into your starting lineup maybe two times just just based on their feet alone. Um, so I'm, I'm usually, I'm 80% of the time I'm at two quarterbacks, maybe 20% of the time I'm at three quarterbacks, never more. Um, in these best ball championships, I've been doing about 60% of my drafts with five running backs. Um, this might not seem like a lot. It, it, a lot of times you get to, I used to draft, I'd, I'd draft that sixth and that seventh running back. And I'd say, you know what, I just feel like I need one more. What if my guys get hurt? But what I've realized uh, just watching these things play out over the last couple of years is when your players get hurt, you lose. Just deal with it. That's why we draft hundreds of these things, or even if you're only drafting 10 of them or 20 of them, when your players get hurt, you lose. And when they don't get hurt, you have a chance. So don't don't try to uh, uh, forestall the inevitable. Just accept injury, accept that it's going to happen. 
um, and and build lineups that are designed to uh, benefit the most from when your players don't get injured and everybody else's do. So for me, this is typically a five running back um, build. I have maybe about 60% of my lineups have five running backs. About 30% of my uh, lineups have six running backs. I'm, I'm totally fine with a six running back lineup. That's fine. Um, and then about 10% I'm messing around with. And we're going to get to that more on a future episode. I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, it, for, for wide receivers, my minimum is seven. You have to have seven wide receivers in these. You have to fill – I look at it this way. I don't look at it as filling out three wide receiver slots. I, I look at it as i got to fill out four wide receiver slots each week. So when I'm looking at my bye weeks, when I'm looking at how many players I have, when I'm looking at how many players I like and think can perform consistently, I need to have – I need to fill four slots every week, and that's a ton of slots. You cannot expect – your fourth wide receiver, if you only have six or even seven wide receivers to be scoring more than 10 points each week, it's just not going to happen. I try to get eight or nine wide receivers as much as possible. Um, so in a nine wide receiver build looks like this. It's two quarterback, five running back, nine wide receiver, and two tight ends. And this is this is my target build, I would say. Um, they don't all come down like this. They shouldn't. Um, but that's my, that's sort of my target build. Now, and I don't, I, I don't go through a draft and say, nope, I'm at my fifth wide, uh, running back. I'm done taking running backs. If a, if a back falls to me in a place that the value is just too good, I'll absolutely take them and have them be my sixth back. I'm going to have a little bit harder time making them my seventh back. I just don't really do that. Um, but if the value was just so, so good, then yeah, you can do it. And you can do the same thing with tight end occasionally. Occasionally, Jordan, La- Jordan Reed's still sitting there in the, in the 14th round, and you like his upside, and, you're in, and you say, you know what? Like, this is a guy who can be a difference maker. Let's throw him in here. Um, so that's, that's my percentages through wide receiver. At tight end, I'm 80 to 90% of the time I'm at two, two tight ends. I rarely take three tight ends. Every time I do, I kind of don't feel good about it. Um, again, this is a position that I'm just kind of looking at as a garbage position. You have to put players there, so so put them in. But I would I would far far prefer an upside wide receiver like a Ted Ginn in the 17th round or something like that to to a third tight end. Um, and, and really, what are you doing? You're taking um, T.J. Hawkinson behind uh, your your one and your two. Let's say you have O.J. Howard and Jared Cook, or you have Kelsey and you have uh, I don't know, you you know Kelsey and Ebron. Why are you Why are you taking these guys in the 15? Why are you taking Gesicki? Is he really gonna produce so consistently? And if he is, if Gesicki's winding up in your tight end spot and and Kelsey's in your flex, what else? What does the rest of your lineup look like? Um, it's probably not that good. Um, so the only thing that really pushes me into a third tight end is, is not only the value, like I mentioned, if, if Jordan Reed's falling or something like that, but it's gotta be a player who has upside too. So I mentioned Jordan Reed, you got Tyler Eifert, you can find a few more of these, um, tight ends in the later rounds that maybe have more upside than, than your average tight end. And, um, that's somebody, somebody that potentially you can look at. Um, we'll end roster construction here, but again, I want to tease this work I'm currently doing. I got, I'm doing a ton of experimental builds on draft right now. I'm playing the $5, um, the $5 mini championships and I'm doing some crazy stuff. I'm, I'm doing things like I'll draft seven running backs in a row rounds one through seven. I'll draft seven, uh, wide receivers in a row rounds one through seven. I'm, I'm taking no no running backs for 10 rounds i'm doing all sorts of crazy stuff um and i'm going to be posting about it on instagram look me up on there a underscore ivanovich underscore roars and i'll be talking about it on future episodes and i have a really cool theory that i'm putting together that i'm testing out that i'll be bringing you soon um so yeah uh stay tuned for that um, and, and remember, really, what we're thinking about is who is in your flex, who is sitting on your bench week to week. Let that guide you. And what I think it's going to do is guide you into more wide receivers. So, and, and then one last note, if, if 
if you think, if you say, you know what, though, I really like these late round running backs. I, I just love them. I think they got upside. I think they're going to take take jobs either early or midway through the season. I think they could be stars. Um, that's fine. Just take less running backs early. <laughs> take uh, take your Saquon first overall, and then don't take another running back until round eight. It, you're you're going to like how this lineup looks. Believe me, when you have six really good number one wide receivers and Saquon and then four guys, four running backs that you think have upside from the late rounds, you're going to like how that looks. So, so don't worry about that at all. All right. I want to, I got two more segments here. Um, I'm going to move through this fast. I, I, I think we're going to cut the last segment. Um, I'm, I'm going to talk about ADP overcorrections and reactions to the news real quick. Um, let me let me say first that this podcast is not going to feature news of the day heavily. Um, I assume if you're listening to the Gamble Pod that you're also listening to plenty of other podcasts. You're getting your news from tons of other sources. You know what the injuries are. You already started drafting based on them. You don't need me giving you the news every day. What we're talking about here is gambling and how to do it effectively. You, like me, have tons of different sources that you get the good news from, and, and we'll both keep getting it there. Um, but as I'm sure you have noticed, is after months of these drafts being really stale and all the players going at the same positions day in and day out, things are getting pretty exciting now. Um, ADPs are changing daily. You got a lot of more, a lot more casual players entering the mix. Players are shooting up and down the boards. It's a lot of fun. And this is where we're going to find opportunity. Um, we're looking for um, these, these overcorrections in ADP, reactions to the news, reactions to things uh, we see in preseason game, and players go way up or way down, way down the boards. Sometimes there's players that we were fading at their ADP a month ago <clears throat> that all of a sudden they start dropping and dropping and dropping, and now we start liking them and we start playing them. And vice versa, players that we were playing at a certain ADP and they start climbing a couple rounds and we don't like them anymore. <clears throat> These are the situations we're, we're looking for. And specifically, I'm looking for situations where this downturn in ADP, this, this depression in ADP could swing back to an ups, uh, upswing just a few days or a few weeks later. So <clears throat> take out like the big long-term injuries, you have prominent examples like uh, the Melvin Gordon and the Todd Gurley situation. Um, Melvin Gordon is falling. I think he's going to fall into the fourth or the fifth round the longer this holdout uh, takes place. And I wasn't taking a ton of him in the first round. Um, I was just taking an average amount. And now I'm looking at him in the fourth round and I'm saying to myself, this might be the place to get Melvin Gordon. Um, Todd Gurley, late in the second round. Here's a guy who was going in the top five, you know, before all the news about the knee, who would have been right up there with Saquon for the number one uh, pick overall if it wasn't for the news about the knee. Now you can find him at the back of round two, sometimes in round three. These are places where we really need to start thinking about guys like this. With Gurley, it's a little bit different than Gordon because of the injury. However, I think we're, we're all starting to realize, at least I'm starting to realize, that these Rams are not worried about this Gurley injury. First of all, they signed this guy to a massive contract knowing exactly what was in that knee. Um, it's arthritis. He's fine. He will grind it out. There's lots of ways to deal with arthritis. It's not a structural injury. He's just going to hurt. Yes, sometimes he's going to swell up, but he is going to be there on game day, and he's going to play, and he's going to be Todd Gurley most of the time. So I like looking at him in two and three, and I like the Mel Gordon situation even better because all he has to do is put his signature on a piece of paper, and all of a sudden he's back into round one again. So imagine this, and I've actually been doing this recently. Take one of the top five overall running backs, then get Todd Gurley in round two, then get Melvin Gordon in round four or five. Here's your first three running backs. Let's say Saquon, Todd Gurley, Melvin Gordon. A couple weeks from now, we could all be looking at that and saying, how did this guy get three first round running backs in this draft? 
Um, so this is where we really want to look at these ADP swings. And anytime you see a big ADP dip, you got to look at that. Even if it was a guy you weren't weren't uh, drafting before, decide whether this is a guy who has the ability to just turn it around, whether that in, maybe, maybe the injury didn't turn out to be what people thought it was or um, bounce back uh, quickly from, from whatever um, or, or they just sign their contract or the holdout ends. Um, any of these things can shoot them right back up. So always be looking at this as, as an opportunity. Don't be looking at it as where everybody else is looking at it as a, a place to fade and get away from this player. We need to be looking at it as a potential opportunity. So um, an, another thing that we, we want to look at here is look at the guys who are rising fast, especially these young rookies and these young guys making a name for themselves in camp, um, showing out in pro preseason games. They're shooting up the boards. You got guys like Andy Isabella, um, Christian Kirk, just shooting up the boards. What's happening to Larry Fitzgerald? He's just falling and falling and falling. Nobody wants stale old Larry Fitzgerald. Okay, um, everybody's gonna take the hot new thing. But this is again a place where we gotta look at a guy who, yeah, I wasn't drafting any Larry Fitzgerald. But if he just if he's just gonna fall into the 10, 11th, 12th, 13th round in what a lot of people are calling uh, one of the potentially most exciting offenses in football. Um, yeah, we, we got to look at Larry Fitzgerald and guys like that. So again, keep an eye on the, on the rises and the falls. And remember, whenever there's one person rising, there's somebody else falling in conjunction with that. That's almost always the case. And a lot of times the one that's falling uh, because of a riser is not getting much press at all. So they're actually going to fall a little bit more than they normally would because nobody's talking about them. And, and that's a good place to, to pick up on that as well. All right. Let's end the episode real quick with one last segment on wide receiver, players who are the wide receiver one for their team who you can get in the 18th round of the draft best ball championship drafts. Unbelievable, right? Well, it's not that unbelievable once you hear the names. But I'm going to give you three names and a bonus of players who I think are the wide receiver one for their team. Um, looked like the wide receiver one at times in their past and potentially uh, could be a real good value for, for some of your best ball drafts, um, especially if you've gone with some strategies where you don't necessarily have many stable plays when you're playing these all upside um lineups where let's say let's say you you wait on wide receiver and you don't draft hardly any wide receivers until the later rounds so then you're going to be left with all these guys like um like john brown and ted ginn and antonio callaway and all, all these guys who are like their home runs when they hit but a lot of times they're going to strike out. This is where, this is my Muhammad Sanu theory where it's not necessarily a bad thing to have a guy who's just going to catch seven balls a lot of the time and give you the potential for 12 to 15 points in your lineup. Uh, maybe maybe sneak into wide receiver three or your flex spot somewhat regularly. So wide receiver one's on their team in the 18th round. Let's start with Baltimore. I'm going to give you Willie Sneed, who is so far buried on the draft uh, ADP that you have to you have to scroll for like a year to get to him. Um, I or search him. <laughs> I think he's I think he's his ADP is two sixteen point nine, which means he's basically undrafted. Um, last year, <clears throat> Willie Sneed caught sixty two balls for six hundred fifty one yards and one touchdown, easily making him the wide receiver one on that team. And when when Lamar Jackson took over, what happened was. The only person he looked at was Willie Sneed. Um, yes, they have Marquise Brown. They have Chris Moore. They have Seth, Seth Roberts. Miles Boykin apparently is the wunderkind of camp. Uh, any one of these guys could emerge. But can, can Lamar Jackson make those good players with specialized skill sets that are much more downfield skill sets, um, can he make them into great receivers or does this offense for yet another year I think it's going to progress but does this offense just 
cater to some of Lamar Jackson's strengths and what he's comfortable with. And one of the things he's comfortable with is throwing to Willie Sneed. So stretch the Lamar Jackson production for Willie Sneed over a full 16 games and not the uh, nine or whatever it was that Jackson actually played. And maybe we're looking at something closer to 80 balls, 800 touch or 80 balls, 800 yards and a few touchdowns. And for a guy you can get in the 18th round, I don't necessarily mind that. Another one on another team with a young running quarterback is Buffalo. Yeah, Robert Foster looked great last year. Yes, they added John Brown. And look, I'm a big John Brown guy. I'm drafting him regularly. I think what uh, the way Josh Allen likes to look down the field, the way he likes to throw the long ball, plays per- perfectly toward what... Uh, John Brown is is good at and what uh, and what we want in in these best ball tournaments but Zay Jones is there Um, Zay Jones was he he caught 56 balls for 652 yards and seven touchdowns last year that's that's pretty nice touchdown stat line and I like a guy who makes a connection with a quarterback in year one makes a touchdown connection with a quarterback in year one and and can move that into a full year two. Um, Zay Jones, I believe, is, he, he's entering his third year. He was a second-round draft pick, 37, 37th overall by the Bills. Um, I know everybody wants to make the case for Robert Foster. I like the guy, too. I hope he, I hope he makes, makes the team and has a great year. But Robert Foster is an undrafted free agent. Zay Jones has the pedigree. Zay Jones has looked it at times, um, and he has the the touchdown connection with uh, with Josh Allen here. So the the idea that John Brown or Robert Foster becomes the number one, I don't think that there that's like far and away more likely than Zay Jones becoming the number one. And again, we can get him in the 18th round. So even just taking a stat line from last year, 56, 652, and seven. We're pretty comfortable with that as, as a win in the 18th round. And if it can go up from there, we potentially have like a, a, a really a real difference maker in our lineup. Um, before I get to my third one, I'm going to give you the honorable mention. It's the Patriots. It's honorable mention for two reasons. Um, one, because the player is Josh Gordon, who isn't currently playing football. But the player is also anyone else because um, – it really could be anyone else. Not not because like I'm down on Akil Harry or, or anything else they got going on. Just because it's the Patriots and, and who knows. Um, and, you know, Edelman gets hurt. Um, Edelman's older. There's a, anything could happen here. But with Josh Gordon specifically, eh, you can't quite get him in the 18th round, actually. Um, I think he's more like a 17th rounder typically. But if Josh Gordon gets back on the field with the Patriots, I think he can absolutely ball out this year um and i think it would be fun to watch and i think the patriots are really hoping it happens um i don't think they're they're counting on Nikhil harry to to be uh the player that josh gordon was for brief moments last year um they are counting on josh gordon to be that player if he can so we'll see on that one i just started picking up josh gordon in my drafts and i really don't feel bad grabbing him in the 17th round all right, my third and final wide receiver one who you can get in the 18th round is Paul Richardson for the uh, for the Washington team. Um, his stat line last year is not exciting at all. 20 catches, 262 yards, and two touchdowns. I believe he only played in nine games, um, and he was injured for some of those. Also, they had the horrendous quarterback injuries game after game that just led to just an absolute lost season for him. Um, however, the year before with Seattle, uh, Paul Richardson went 44 catches for 700 yards and six touchdowns, and he really was showing up at the end of that year, if you remember. He, he really was making some, making some plays, and that's what earned him a huge contract with the Redskins. He got $40 million on a five-year contract from the Redskins. They saw something in him. I saw something in him then. He's competing with Josh Doxson, Trey Quinn, and Terry McLaurin for for catches here. So um, I, I still want to 
draft Josh. I still draft Josh Doxon occasionally in these best balls because touchdown upside and things like that. But I even I have sort of given up the idea that he's going to be like a number one receiver. So I think it's Paul Richardson's job. And I I think we may very well see Dwayne Haskins, a very good pocket passer with uh, with, you know, I, I think he has enough poise to step in in week one and make a wide receiver on this team relevant. Um, maybe not multiple wide receivers, maybe not stat lines that we care about for a quarterback, but stat line that we might care about for one wide receiver. And I think that wide receiver is Paul Richardson. To be honest, I've been taking him a fair amount, but even just as I'm doing this episode right now and talking through this, I'm liking Paul Richardson more and more, and he might wind up being a staple for me in the 18th round. Um, so that's how we're going to close it today. I hope you got some good info. Um, I think what I'm going to try to do is get off the best ball championship for our next episode. Um, I think we'll try to focus on some gambling things, um, throw in a little bit of best ball, and and maybe take a, a early look at the uh, DraftKings um, uh, lineups here. Um, so, um, but keep drafting. There's lots going on. I'm going to bring you some, some more fun strategies for drafting soon. Um, remember, if, you're, if you haven't signed up on draft yet, go to draft.com backslash roar. Sign up that way. Um, also, follow me on Instagram, A underscore Ivanovich underscore roars. I've been posting more and more lineups, and I do some analysis on them. And I'm going to start doing more podcasts in conjunction with um, Instagram posts where I, I actually – I'll uh, refer the podcast to the Instagram post so you can follow along at the lineups as I'm talking through them. Um, If you want to follow me on Twitter, it's Ivanovich underscore Roars. I really just use Twitter to follow the analysts uh, in the newsmakers and the players so that I know what's going on. Um, But hope you enjoyed the episode. We'll have another one coming very soon. Thanks for listening as always. Have fun drafting and good luck with all of your wagers.